Well, it's great to be here on this Palm Sunday. Many of us remember as children celebrating this day. But one thing about this day, this Palm Sunday, this week before Easter, it is not, as I was almost brought up to believe in, a children's parade. The, the text would show that it's anything but a children's parade. In fact, um, it's a bit, it's more like in contemporary terms what Jesus is doing, driving a tank down Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington, D.C., or down Whitehall or into Red Square. It's a very provocative action. Um, it probably would take them back, the Jews, not in their memory, because they wouldn't mem- memorize it, when Noah should say, of when Judas Maccabeus was the last person to do this 200 years before. He deliberately it set the, the Jerusalem free from the Greeks. And he came into Jerusalem uh, and to rededicate the temple. And they did the same thing. They waved palm branches. A palm branch is the symbol of Israel, Israel's nationalism. It's a national symbol of Israel at that time. And to wave a, a palm branch before a Roman soldier was like waving a red rag before a bull. But anyway, let's get to the text. Because this is there's almost a military sta- it's almost a military statement. It's it's almost a declaration of war, what's going on. It's, it's not a religious thing in one sense, and yet it's very religious. Let me just bring in the picture. Jesus, do you remember, has had three years' ministry. An incredible ministry. People have seen things they've never seen on this planet before. And now he comes to the end. He's in Jericho. You remember in Jericho? He's in Jericho for a couple of days. Uh, he's, two blind men are healed. A man called Zacchaeus, Jesus turns his life around. And Jesus now is going to walk those 17 miles up to Jerusalem, up the paved Roman road, those 4,000 feet in altitude, up the hill towards, first of all, to Bethany and Bethphage, and then drop down into Jerusalem. And and it's Passover time, so you're getting thousands making the pilgrimage. All good Jews went as often as they could, to Jerusalem, to one of the major festivals, especially Passover. And so Jesus would be joined, not only by his followers and uh, all those who were sort of adding on, but a huge crowd would join with him. And um, Jesus knew that he was going to be crucified. He actually said to his disciples that he would be crucified. He knows what's going on. He repeatedly told this to his disciples. Everything Jesus does is deliberate. It's carefully orchestrated. And um, see, you remember up to this point in Jesus' ministry, Jesus kept his identity quiet. When he does a miracle, he says to the people, don't tell anybody. Even when he fed 5,000 men and women and children, he slips away. Because it says he knew that they wanted to make him king. And uh, so... He resists all public acclaim and and, uh, attention. But now, this Sunday, this day, uh, it's all going to change. The time has come for Jesus to go public. And uh, and so he carefully choreographs this entrance into the, the holy city, what he himself calls the city of the great king. It's difficult for us... Uh, to understand the importance of Jerusalem to a, a Jew at that time. It's more important than it is for an Englishman in London 
or a Frenchman in Paris or an American in Washington, D.C., or even a, a, for a Catholic, the, the Vatican City, or even for a Hindu, you know, the, the Ganges. Jerusalem is huge. It is the place where God had covenanted to meet with his people. And so it has, and it's a colossal history. A thousand years history of significance. And it's because it's here that the most important drama will take place. So the first thing you have to notice as the passage was read is the, the donkey thing. Why is this, why is this so significant? He, he says to people, well, go to a certain place and you'll find a donkey and it's cold. And when the owner says, who wants it? Tell them the Lord has need of it. And so it happens. And they get the donkey and, um, and they bring it to him. Now a donkey is not a sort of foolish thing. If you watch a film like Shrek, you think the donkey is an idiotic object. But actually a king in the, in, the, in the ancient Near East would ride to war on a horse and ride back on a horse. But if he was coming in peace, he would ride on a donkey. It's a, it's, it's a noble animal. It's not a foolish thing. And, um, and Jesus deliberately chooses this animal. And the Jews who would know their scriptures better than we do. And certainly Luke wants us to know what's happening. That's how he, he writes his text. You see, if you're going to run the London Marathon, you don't have to put on your chest... You know, London Marathon 2017. The fact that you're doing it testifies what it's about. Now, the fact that Jesus, ten, uh, you know, takes this donkey is a sign that he, he knows what he's doing. Because he fulfills two very significant texts. Not simply he's ticking them off. But they're significant. The first one is, you remember when Jake, Jacob... Um, comes to bless his, 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 his boys as he comes to die. And he comes to Judah. Judah is the one from whom the Messiah, the, from whose family the Messiah would come. And, and he lays hands on Judah as he's done on all the other men, his sons. And, um, and he, he, Judah's going to fulfill what, what his father prophesied. And his father prophesies, the scepter will not depart from Judah and his family, that is, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he comes to whom it belongs. And the obedience of the nations is his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. What, what, um, what Luke is saying is, do you see this? Because he mentioned it four times. Four times he says, we're untying. This is the day for untying. We've, looked for, we've waited for 1,500 years. This is the day when the cult will be untied. Because he to whom obedience of the nation belongs is here. Who has the, the scepter of rule over this earth comes. Then the other prophecy, you'll probably know it better, is from Zechariah, a bit more recent. And he's deliberately fulfilling this, this promise of Zechariah's, that the shepherd king will come. And, and Zechariah says, rejoice, rejoice, 
greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you riding and having salvation. Gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fall of a donkey. His rule will extend from sea to sea, from river to the ends of the earth. Now Jesus is proclaiming, probably louder in actions than in words, for those who know what's going on. And there are incredibly religious people. That was their genius in one sense. And the disciples have gathered around him. And, and if you know the... He comes up the hill from Jericho and he comes to the crest of the hill of Mount Olives. He'd have his crowd with him. And others are thinking, is he going to go to Jerusalem? And then the rumor goes around that he is going to Jerusalem. And the crowds, as it were, pick up, are coming up from the city. It's not far. Some of you walk down the hill, down to Jerusalem. And, and, and Jesus is there in a great crowd. It says, a, la- a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road. These are poor people. But there's, there's something incredibly significant is happening. The most we can do is put our, make a carpet for him that this king can walk on. So put the, they put it down. It had been done before, if you know, when Jehu was making, they did the same with Jehu. They put their garments on the, on the, on the floor. And he comes. And, uh, and they wave their palm branches as they'd done 2,000 years ago when, when Judas Maccabeus had, had conquered the pagans. And they're thinking, this is a start of a new dynasty. This is what we have, every generation has longed for from the beginning of written time, as it were. And they start singing. The, the crowds always sang. You remember the Psalms, certain Psalms were just written for them to sing as they marched to Jerusalem. And they come to Psalm 118 and, and they sing that. And they sing, you know, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. It's a bit of a mixture between the cup final and the last night of the proms. It's sort of, there's a tremendous buzz. And some shout, Hosanna to the son of David. <coughs> Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna simply means save now. Save now, David. Come on, now, now, save. <coughs> and he comes. And uh, this is pure political theatre. Excuse me. And he comes. <coughs> it's like a presidential procession. And the crowd believe they're taking part <coughs> in the coronation of the king. Now, some of you are old enough to remember the queen's coronation. Do I see a hand here? <coughs> and well, that was a wet day, wasn't it? A wet day in London. But it was nothing like this day. This is incredibly significant. It's amazing. And um, it's, all, it's all quite deliberate and yet quite different. Um, <coughs> it's not like, you know, Mahatma Gandhi in the 40s when he, he walked against the, the, the British Empire. I mean, one thing about the British Empire, speaking as Englishman, is had a measure of conscience. The, uh, the Romans had no measure of conscience. They, they reveled in their brutality. They bedecked the empire with crosses at crossroads, with corpses on, hung on crosses to show we're in charge. Don't mess with us. And uh, 
Oh no, they were, Jesus knew that uh, they, would, they would not treat him any differently. He's under no illusions. And Jesus comes to the, the, the Mount of Olives and he looks down Jerusalem. It's a lovely view that some of you have been there. And you'll see Herod's temple, second temple, and the walls and the gates and the towers. And he weeps. This isn't just a tear running down his face. It's, a, it's an incredibly strong word. He sobs. He wails. It, 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 you remember he'd come to Lazarus' tomb and his, all his friends are crying. And Jesus weeps. <coughs> well, this is a far stronger word. His, his chest is heaving. He's wailing. I don't know about you, but you really only cry about people you love. If you don't want to, if you don't, if you won't want to cry, never have children, my friends. You know. <coughs> and as Jesus loves these people, he just is wailing, wailing, because he knows there's something worse than death. It's the judgment of God, and it's the rejection. If they're going to reject the only one that could bring them peace, and um, and so they would incur God's judgment. Which is far worse than death. Oh, a few weeks earlier he'd come and he, and he looked over Jerusalem and said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You killed the prophets and stoned those who, who were sent to you. How often? He said, I would long to gather you as a, as a hen gathers the chicks under, under her wings. But you were not willing. You were not willing. And he says, Look, now your house is left you desolate. <laughs> and then here he says, if you even knew, if you had known on this day what would bring you peace. But like other cities, even today, they ignore, they resist, they reject Jesus. And they will never know peace. Now why do, we, why do they reject him? Why do they reject him here? Why do you reject him? Why have we rejected him? Because we think we know better what brings peace. We, we know what brings peace in my life. I know what brings peace. And the, the Jews here thought they not, knew what brought peace. I'm not talking about peace with Rome, which is what it was here. I'm not even talking about inner peace or social peace. But a, and a peace with God for whose we've broken his law, we've offended his Ways we've insulted him, we've rubbished him, we've ignored him. How can we get peace with him? How can we have the shalom of God that is a blessing? Well, this is why he comes. This is why Jesus comes. Oh, these people are high. These people are high. And, and they believe that this God will, this, this person will bring them, uh, you know, Freedom from Rome and all the rest of it. I mean, Jesus has been telling me he's going to bring them peace. If I had time to show you from Luke 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and so on. Trust in God, the living God. And he's here. He's here to deliver and, and give you all that you need for shalom, for blessing, for put you right with him. See, they, they want a king. They, these want a king who will get rid of these Romans. They want an all-powerful King will stride in. But this king is going to come and bring 
peace through sacrificial love. But they're fired up, you know. They're really, they're really up for it. You can just imagine. This isn't a children's possession. This is a whole crowd. Some are genuine. Most of them are just, well, this is it. We've waited for this day. If you've seen, you know, the, the film, Le- or not the film, seen the show Les Miserables, you know, in early 19th century France, the, at the barricade, you know, and they sing. Do you hear the people sing, singing a song of angry men? It is the music of a people who will not be slaves again. When the beating of your heart echoes the beating of their drum, there is a life about to start when tomorrow comes. And these people, yes, this is it. Tomorrow's come at last. We're the generation that's long for this day. And it's come with this man. And there's enough attestation by his miracles to think we're right. And Jesus said, but you miss it. If you'd only know. He knows they haven't got it. On this incredible hour, they hadn't got it. The thing that would, would bring peace. Well, what would bring peace? What would bring peace? Well, because they knew. I mean, there was one group, the nationalists, uh, the zealots. They were the, the freedom fighters. And they said, the way to peace for our land, get rid of the foreigners. That's the secret. It's always, get rid of the foreigners. They're the problem. It's it's the Romans now. It was the Greeks. It was the Babylonians. It was the Assyrians. They're the problem. If we can rule this our country ourselves and take control back and rule it ourselves, we will have shalom. We will have peace. And Jesus said, no, you won't. In fact, the first thing Jesus does, you remember, he goes into the town, into the city. He goes in the temple, turns over the money changers. And, and he, but that's not the problem. The problem is not the money business. The problem is, is you have made this, this, what was meant to be a house of prayer, into a den of robbers. And the word robbers is lestes, which is terrorists, insurrectionists, freedom fighters, nationalists. You, you, this is the committee rooms for the Independence Party for Israel. You think, get rid of the foreigners? You miss it by a million miles. Unless you accept the king who is coming, you will never have peace. Independence will not bring you peace. And then there are another group, you see, the, 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 the Sadducees. They were the aristocracy. They, they, they owned land. They were the landowners, the gentry. And the way to peace is to be, get on with everybody. Get on with everybody. Be nice to everybody. Don't, don't rock the boat. If it's the Romans, just get on with them. Do your best. I mean, you remember when Pilate said, when he presented Jesus to them, he said, here is your king. And they said, can you imagine Jews saying this? We have no king but Caesar. That's unbelievable. But, but their philosophy to peace, get on with everybody. Be nice to everybody. Jesus says, you, you miss it by a million miles. When the king comes among you, you're, you're blind. But then there was another group that we could align ourselves to, which was the Pharisees. The way to peace is to study the Bible. Study the Bible, the Torah. Memorize it day in, day out. But you see, the problem was they lived in the past. They didn't want a, a living God who would come and speak personally and direct into their lives and tell them to get their life sorted out and show them their faults. Jesus says, 
you diligently search the scriptures because you think that by them you, you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet you do not come to me that you might have life. The great danger, Bible-believing fundamentalist evangelicals. We can study the Bible, but we don't win Jesus. We'll, come, we'll live our own lives, thank you. I'll be here on Sundays, you can count on me. But we don't, we don't, we're just arm's length. Very religious. But then there's an even more religious life, it's to be said, which was the Essenes, which, which lived down Jordan Valley in caves. They were the really spiritual ones. They called themselves the sons of light. The Jerusalem lot, they were written off. They were corrupt. They were the children of darkness. They were incredibly spiritual. They, didn't, they, they, they did not relieve themselves on Sundays. Oh, not Sundays, Sabbath. Not Sunday, Sabbath. They had a bath before every meal. Quite addictive, I would think, but anyway. But they were the spiritual ones. We are the godly ones, the sons of righteousness, the sons of light. Oh, they were spiritual. They'll go to your conferences, your meetings, and they'll go to everything. But we don't want Jesus. Spirituality is altered with, a, with a Jesus, Christianity. It's nothing wishy-washy about Christianity. It's through a living person called Jesus. You can, put, you can have the Bible and not Jesus. And don't believe me, I believe the Bible, every word of it. I, my life is dedicated to it. But you can have the Bible and not, there's enough fundamentalists around the world who probably have no contact with him. And, and Jesus comes <laughs> and he weeps. He weeps. He'd been to Jerusalem several times. And uh, each time they'd rejected him. And he's told them, that, uh, that he's told them about peace. Oh, you know, about the chicken, you know, like a hen. I just long to gather you, Jerusalem. Put you under my protection, my care. But you did not, you were not willing. Your heart's not there. And now your house has left you desolate. I mean, his his deeds had shown him that there's enough evidence there to show this man is who he says he is. It's incontrovertible for anybody that's genuinely open. But if you'd known today the things that bring you peace, but now it's hidden from you. God has, has passed judgment on Israel, and Israel's in judgment now, to this very day. Now, there is a future for Israel, that's another story. But if you reject God's best, a blindness comes upon you. You can have your worship, your singing, and all that stuff. And Jesus says, but now it's hidden from you. And soon he knows they will cry, crucify him. Because you didn't recognize the time of God's coming. Isn't it amazing? God doesn't visit the people with a prophet. It's unbelievable. I I never get past this bit. He doesn't even visit the people with an angel. God comes himself. God, the creator, becomes incarnate. God sends his son. It's amazing. He can do no more. And well, the, uh, I'm going to rush on. The, the Pharisee says to, to Jesus, rebuke your disciples, he says. I tell you, he replied, if they 
keep quiet, the very stones will cry out. He, he, look, he himself comes. He's gonna, he, he offers to every human being all that can save, help, deliver in every way that's possible or necessary. The living God is visiting. But if this visitation is rejected, those who reject him will suffer the consequences. And the, and, and the consequences are worse than death. In fact, there's a temporal thing here because he sees something temporal. He weeps. Not out of self-pity, not because he's, he's, he knows what's going to happen to him, but because of their blindness and he loves them. And, and through the Holy Spirit, he sees the future because he knows the rejection of, of him will come... God will leave them to themselves and in, in 40 years' time. Um, Titus Vespasius, the, the Roman Caesar is going to send his, his legions in and they're going to destroy the temple. The, Jerusalem. Well, look what he says. Look what he says. The days will come when, you will, when, you, when your enemies will build an embankment. First of all, if you know the history, they build a, a wooden embankment. The, the Romans, then the Jews take it down. So the Romans build a big stone dirt one. And he says, it will encircle you. It'll block you in. It'll start, you'll be starved out. It all comes through this. And not only that, it'll hem you in on every side. The walls that you love will become a prison to you. And worse still, they will dash you to the ground. You and your children, literally sons, and they will not leave one stone on top of the other. Of course, it all happened. The whole city. The only thing that was left, as you know, is the, west, the western wall, the wailing wall, and I think three towers. It was leveled. And they, they, they went through and they massacred hundreds of thousands, women and men, women and children. The only people they saved were young men. And they kept the young men for fighting in the gladiatorial battles in the amphitheaters. They wanted some fodder for that. But it's how he said. And Jesus saw the city and he wept over it because he sees the oncoming pain. And he says, you know, as it were, as I come, the stones will just cry out. You can't believe the wonder that God would so love the world that he would send his son. The stones cry out for joy. But there will come a time in a few years' time, 40 years, when the stones will cry out, when they see the agony, the awful, and the blood, and the pain that you have brought upon yourself. And so, he comes as a king. This is his coronation. He will be crowned on a Roman cross in a few days' time. He would come unto his own, and his own would not receive him. Jesus tells him in the, in the next week a parable about a man who planted a vineyard and the, 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 the owner went off and left it to tenants. And he sent servants to check up how it was going on and they beat them and they, met and they treated them badly. But he said he had a son. They would send, he would send his son to see how the vineyard was going on. And he, so he came and the, the, the tenant said, this, this is the heir. Let's kill him that it might be ours. And Jesus said, that is just how it's going to be. They're going to do that. And he comes in love. 
No, it's a, it's a great story in itself. It's a, it is one of the greatest days in the history of the world, this triumphal entry. But it applies to me and to you. Because Jesus comes, even this Sunday morning, this lovely spring morning, and he comes to all of us and he offers us peace. But we, in our arrogance, we think we know better. No, we, we, we'll, we'll come on Sundays. We like it. We're nice people. We like the worship. We like the people. But we don't want him in charge. We'll, we'll be nice to everybody. We don't want to upset our neighbors, you know. Be nice to everybody. Jesus comes as the kingdom of God is among you. Well, we'll study our Bible. I've got Bible reading notes. I'll read my Bible reading notes. No, he is to be in charge all 24-7. I'll go to all your conferences. I'll be spiritual. What, what do you want to do? Fast? I'll do everything. I'll do all the spiritual stuff. No, Jesus says he must be in charge. He is king. If you want a life of shalom and blessing, he comes as king. And See, why do we worry? If you're like me, you know, it's a natural gift. Because actually, we want to be in control. We want to be in control, you know? It doesn't get the, the, the temptation to worry doesn't go away as you get old, I'm afraid. Well, he said, if you follow me, you can never be in control. I'll be in control. Well, what about this, you know? I lost my wallet the other day and all the rest of it. And about, after about an hour of screaming and my dear wife, you know, trying to live with me. And the Lord said to me, when are you going to think as a Christian? Trust me. All right. You know, all right. I mean, find and lose the wallet. It's irrelevant. Just start living as a Christian. And that's the God's word. We come, let him, he comes as a king. He won't just come as a bless, one to give you a blessing. He comes as a king or he won't come at all. He won't play religion with us. And he comes. But it, it, it's an offer, isn't it? He can't, he can't, say, well, this is hard. You know, I remember we, we, I remember somebody going from the church, not this church, to visit somebody because they had no rent, they had nothing. And so they went from church with the money and they knocked and knocked and knocked. She never opened up. And now on Sunday they said, where were you? Somebody from the church came with the rent. And I said, oh, I was in. Why did you open the door? She said, I thought it was the rent, man. And I had no money. <laughs> And you know, we, we often, you often think, you know, it's a demand. It is a demand, but it's an incredible offer. And if you don't believe it, come this next week. He's going he's gonna to go into Jerusalem. He's going to die. He's not going to drive a truck across the bridge to kill people. He's going to come himself. God is going to come himself. He's going to come and he's going to die. He's going to taste hell. He's going to be forsaken by his father for you in order that you might have peace. Peace with God, inner peace, every kind of peace. Because he loves you. It's going to come. <laughs> that's what it's about. And that's the gospel. Nothing can bring you peace in this life with God apart from your faith in the king. Jesus is king. Not just on Good Fridays, but on this Saturday. This Sunday, this Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, right? And he doesn't just come to die to give you a bit of comfort at church, but to give you eternal satisfaction and joy and peace with God. And without that, 
If you don't accept it, a, dark, a blindness will come that will never go away. And so Jesus weeps because he loves you. And he means it. And his heart is full of compassion. Because Christianity is about a living God who comes to us on this Sunday morning in Hazelmere and says, accept my peace. How? You bow the knee. Amen? Amen.